Here we go. You just don't get names like we do. No, never. And I was anymore. Thinking, I was thinking about this. Early baseball names, early football names. Football had some good names going through, but early soccer names too, man. Just don't get them anymore. Early soccer had the best names. And we're back at the Sports Experience Podcast. Here we go. Just a couple of comics who love sports talking about sports. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chris Quinn, with my other co-host, Dom Detola, And we're talking soccer today. Back in the saddle. Open wide for some soccer. Oh, I was expecting you just to lodge right into that. That's That was my, uh, everyone knows, it's my favorite little intro. I waited for it. Yep. Uh, this time we're talking about the uh, French legend, Just Fontaine. I believe it's Juiced Fontaine. Well, I don't know. I, you know what? I say it like an American, which will always be wrong. It's wrong in English. It's wrong in French. It's wrong in, you know what? Let's just get into it. Uh, <laughs> But like we were, like I was saying right now, like these names, I love the name Just as a first name. I love it. Just Louis Fontaine, if anybody wants to know his full name. Yeah. Um, born August 18th, 1933 in a French-ruled Morocco. Yeah, Marrakech in uh, French Morocco. Morocco was kind of divided between French and Spanish Morocco. Western yep. Morocco was French. Or uh, Spanish, uh, excuse me. And uh, his dad was French. His mom was Spanish. I was going to say his heritage reflects exactly what Morocco was like in that time, which is, like you said, his dad was was a French and his, his mother was a Spaniard. And this was very common for French people who immigrated back into France was having one parent that was French. Yeah, no, and for any French sports team, you'd take your best athletes from wherever the empire went. And this was actually very common in France above, we see this not happening in England, but France was like, no, you're in one of our colonies, you're, you're, a, you're a member of our state, whatever you want to call it of this time. Um, we see his start off very... Um, unenthusiastic to his career there wasn't he wasn't like scouted back then and and nobody was coming off of world war ii so that was something else is you had about a decade and a half period of everybody just ignoring sports and trying to win a war and and the rebuild after that was something else so it's hard to say that any kind of focus was on sports but in 1950 he signs up with the usm casablanca's yeah um, they're an amateur team, and he played for them for three years. And I thought it was interesting. I went back and looked at his stats. They were not impressive. No. Uh-uh. Um, he was not impressive on this amateur rank, but for some reason in 53, Nice came in, who was a, a – I think they were a Division II team at the time. Uh, but they saw the potential in him and decided to recruit him in. Yeah, they were like, somebody has some talent to develop. Yep. Why not go with them? Yes. And which was, and like we were saying, it's, it's almost like a broken country. So a lot of emphasis isn't necessarily being put on football. Um, yeah. You've taken Vichy away from the Nazis and West go. Africa away from the Nazis. So everything is kind of in flux. <laughs> we see actually in 53 too. So it, it's interesting. His first, um, international debut is in 53, Nice go and pick him up, and he plays for France against Luxembourg. 
Yeah. Um, they score. He ends up scoring a hat trick and doesn't play for France for another three years. Which is so weird. You and would I, figure anybody that scores a hat trick in any sport would catch the eye of somebody. Well, I saw a quote about this because I was reading up. I was reading up on it, and I thought it was pretty weird. But there was a quote that said Luxembourg was such a bad soccering country at the time that they are essentially playing like their C squad. And the the quote said that Fontaine could have scored all eight goals, and I still don't think that would have put him in the in the sights of the French squad. That's that's how because it was a, like a youth team playing against Luxembourg, and they were just outclassed. So we don't see him play for the French team for literally three more years, and which is ridiculous. It's like this guy's scoring all these goals for you, and eventually. But well, yes, yeah, that's but. what I, I love. There also isn't a lot of international play. So outside of these giant tourneys, there isn't necessarily international friendlies very much. So they don't have a huge rotation in the international squad. No, definitely not. And uh, moves to uh, Nice in 1950 or uh, 1953. Yep. Excuse me plays in 69 games over the next three seasons and uh, scores 69 goals. Yeah. I knew you would like that. There's, yeah. You know, there's something about 69 goals. There's something about those statistics. <laughs> so then we get to him because they don't really do anything in Nice with him, but they can see him. This is where he becomes a professional. Yeah. Um, so he goes to Reims. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm trying to look this up. Uh, he goes to Reims replacing Raymond Coppa. So this is the big thing that I wanted to say. And Raymond Coppa, we actually might do a, an episode on. He was probably the best French number 10 for like decades. Okay. And he goes to Madrid in this ridiculous Madrid team. And he ends up winning three consecutive European trophies with them. Just to give you a little Copa information, so but they bring they bring uh, Just Fontaine in to essentially replace him as this star up front, and he plays for him um, fifty six, fifty seven, fifty eight, and in fifty seven they actually do the double, which we've yeah. brought up many a times before, which is why it's so important. And they said that the French thought was he wasn't when he when he came in to replace Copa he wasn't going to be as good or he wasn't going to be this focal point um for this team and he ended up really having a great run with uh with Reims well now he's legendary yeah if you're wrong if you're rolling up the double you're legendary as far as soccer's concerned yeah from what I've read <laughs> um so we got where am I at here we got him going to and this is something that happens in 57 is he actually, I, I couldn't look up. I didn't know what kind of knee operation he had, but he had a knee operation in the winter of 57 um, comes back and he scores, I think 29 goals in like 20 games. So beginning of 57, the world cup team isn't really looking at him being their star striker. No, they're just looking at him as uh, basically talent, right? Yeah. yeah. And then 58, he is, after this knee injury, he comes back and he's looked at as one of the two top strikers. It was him and um, Blinard, 
who I'm saying that completely wrong, but um, they were the top strikers. And then like it was the, and this is always the worst time. It was like the week before they are going to depart for the world cup. The other guy gets injured in a warm up. And they were just like, oh, wow. All right, Just Fontaine, you're literally our striker. Because, the, like, there wasn't a huge backlog of, of players, you know, to step in. So they were just yeah. like. Most of them had been murdered in World War II. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So he steps up to this 58 World Cup and has one of the best World Cups ever, if not the best World Cup. It's it's arguably the best by a single individual. Yes. Um, so they start off, and I brought up Copa before, uh, Raymond Copa, because they were talking about them making the best attacking duo of this entire tourney. Um, we'll see who they end up losing against later, but they are just perfect together which is why it's kind of sad that he replaces them and they don't necessarily play a ton together um so first game right away we see paraguay and it's so interesting that we see a bunch of teams that you just don't see in the world in the international scope anymore so we see so we see paraguay and it's a very good paraguay team and they actually paraguay actually goes up three to two in this game and France comes back and wins seven to three. Wow. It, it's such a ridiculous game. He ends up scoring a hat trick in this game. And every all the doubters after this game are like, oh, shit, because he is. You can tell the partnership that him and Copa have is just so deadly. So that's where all these goals come in. That's where all this. They're, well, they're very, showing the tape. They're just laying it up for him. Yes. And he's just executing. Yes, he is definitely the the type of striker that you want, in which is just f- finishing. Um, next game against U- Yugoslavia, who isn't even a nation anymore, like French Morocco, where he's from. Exactly. Um, he has two in that game, in which they win three two, or excuse me, in which they actually lose three two. And this is what I was saying: Yugoslavia was such a power back then that they were had essentially a giant landmass to recruit players from that got broken into, you know? So uh, we see them, Yugoslav having great teams throughout this, this era. So they beat him three to two, but he ends up scoring two in that game. And then in this next game where they beat Scotland, it is for them extremely lucky because a lot of people were saying that Scotland could have went on and, and won this game and knock them out. And and we wouldn't know shit about Just Fontaine. But he ends up scoring one and setting up Copa, which they said was so rare because Copa was always setting it up. And this was before they were recording assists. So we don't really know how many many Copa had. Because they they had, they have video of a lot of it, but not all of it. You know what I mean? Well, it's all grainy and it's it's late 50s. And it's, they have like half games. You know what I mean? So somebody will like have a game recorded on their like TV kind of shit, like that kind of recording. Yeah. Um, so they get into the quarterfinals. This is how this World Cup goes. It's a smaller group than we're used to. You know what I mean? In 58, um, they get into this quarterfinals against Northern Ireland. And what a Swedish newspaper said, this is the, the quote that I love, is you have to go back a very long time 
way in history to find a trace of a team that played as eloquently in Sweden as French did on this day because they wow. trounced this Northern Ireland team that a lot of people thought was going to be a lot like this Scottish team and give them a lot of problems. But there were, and people say it was just Fontaine has like one of the best goals in this game. Um, and just the way that the French was dissecting them. No, they, I, the FIFA had pieced it together. Yes. Basically. And you would watch it and you were like, who is this guy? Who the hell is this guy? Because he was able to just slice and dice him. Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our Sports Experience podcast is brought to you by Engel Studio here. And uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. Yes. And this is, and we see this team run into who we all know in this 58 World Cup, which is yeah. Brazil and Pele and Zagallo, who we brought up in the other episode, who became the coach in the in the 70 World Cup. But this is where Pele shows up and he's 17. And everybody was saying that like this, this semifinal could have been the final. Exactly. Um, yeah. The final ended up being Brazil and Sweden. Sweden was the host country. Everybody knows how much how much you know like uh drive host countries get how much they get from that so everyone was saying that the two best teams in this were france and and brazil and this is one of these moments in sports that changes so it, it, international soccer especially but like soccer forever so i think it was in the 30th minute uh viva from brazil ends up breaking the captain of france's leg robert uh I can't find his last name, but he ends up breaking his leg. And this is before substitutes. Oh no. So if you watch this game, it's ridiculous. They'll be like passing. And then you'll just see a guy literally hobbling out there because he broke oh, his God. leg and he's not going to get sub. He's not going to like walk off and leave him with 10 players. He He's out there, but he can't, he can't move. You can't do anything. You can't do anything. It's so brutal. So this is what everybody was saying. It's like, well, if something like that's happened that we need a substitution, this is one of these instances that starts this, Send the towel guy in exactly. for Christ's sake. It, was, like, it doesn't matter, just another guy. Exactly. It was brutal. And what people were saying was, we missed out on the best two teams playing each other in a fair in a fair competition because of this. And it wasn't like, it was a bit of a dirty tackle, but it wasn't crazy for the yeah, time. No, but yeah. I mean, was this something that changed the rules what did everybody point to it and say like oh this is messed up we need to change it or what? yeah okay well like it was kind of obvious it was like we can't have these teams be you know like just it, it was such a it was such a important match that was it makes me what i think of and i'm stumbling over my words here but what i think of is like when a referee fucks up a game and you're like, yeah. you know what I mean? You're like, okay, stuff needs to change on that rule. And that was, I, I imagine what people were thinking after that, just like. I, w I, I would have to think at this juncture because like when I had read about it, I was like, well, 
in NBA, you only go down a man when you have nobody left on your bench. Exactly. And it's probably quintuple overtime. Exactly. So, yeah, this we see this kind of because Brazil ends up beating him 5-2. to two. Um, Just has, has one goal he has. What actually Pelé said was one of the best goals ever. They actually went, it was one-to-one. Yeah. At the time that the guy broke his leg and then Brazil went on and just destroyed him. Like, I can't think of a better team to go 11 versus 10 than Brazil. You know what I mean? They're just passing through them and they're just like, nah, uh, it's sorry, It's a completely guys. different sport yes. at that point. Yes. Yeah. With their fascist government and everything else in between. <laughs> Not at that point, but go back and listen to our, that. that uh, Yeah, that 1970s. Um, so this is when he goes into this third place game against West Germany. Yeah. So he has nine goals at this point. Oh, yeah, he does. Goes against this West um, game against West Germany, and I thought it was so interesting because the record that was set in the 54 World Cup in Hungary was um, 11 goals, and they were asking him, like, is this on your mind? Is this something that you want? And he was kind of like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, I'm here for the team. Like, that was kind of his response. And everybody was kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then... In the middle of the game, he had 10 goals, so he had scored one, and then they got a penalty, and he gave it to the Raymond Copa, his friend, yeah. and he let Copa take it instead of him, which was not normal. He normally would have taken the penalties, and everyone was saying, like, oh, yeah, he really is here for the team. And it was like one of these t- moments that showed, like, he didn't really care about that that 13 goal mark before it happened he was more like no i care about france winning no it's never individual accomplishments with this guy well no. with any of these top guys that we talk about yeah it, it's very it's it's pretty interesting it's just like do we have the matchup all right go to that guy yeah yeah um something else that i thought was pretty fucked up was because he scores four goals in this west germany game yeah, I mean, it's the only time Francis beat Germany one-on-one in anything. Yeah, it's pretty jokingly. But. Pretty good. <laughs> but he so he scores four goals and we've brought this up with the Heisman where they mess up and they want to have a trophy presentation before the last games are played. Yeah. So they present the golden boot to this other guy who had 10 goals and then Just Fontaine goes on to score four and has 13 in the end of the and the end of the tourney and he doesn't have the golden boot and like this no, is one of these uh-uh. things that they went back and gave him like a like a ceremonial golden boot because they were like oh no like you deserve this more than yeah, any right. other player it's like our bad you scored that many goals in the last game <laughs> yes and uh, like we were saying though like the heisman where it just sometimes when they preemptively give out trophies they give them out to the wrong people so France loses this World Cup. Uh, they lose. They get third, which was actually their best um, position at that point. Um, and it's he's 24 in 58. And in 59-60, after Raymond Copa wins three consecutive Madrid uh, European trophies, he comes back to Reims. Yeah. And they link back up again. And then he proceeds just Fontaine. And this is why it's so sad because they were saying that they were the most lethal French duo of the time. As soon as they link back up, just Fontaine breaks his leg in a bad break, comes back for like a month and then breaks his leg again, which it destroyed his career. It 
destroyed it. And they were saying that this could have been the French, like the first French golden, you know what I mean? The golden era where this next and World I mean, Cup. And I mean, they've in, had it the last 30 years, well, basically. Yes. But the, the next World Cup in 62, they were saying like that would have been the starting duo. And they yeah. just like, yeah, it, it just kind of blew up in their face because when a when a striker like this breaks his leg and like he did twice he's just not going to come back and he ended up not even, like he played two more seasons but like barely yeah barely like i think his last game was in in 62 i think his last game for france was in 61 when he was 27 and then his last club game was in in 62 when he was 28 which if you think about how sad that is in 62 it was that next world cup and he should have been the top striker and he should have been like the top billing name and he wasn't even fucking playing. You would playing. have drawn everybody into the... Exactly. like Terrell Davis without the Super Bowls, basically. And just crippled <laughs> at an age where it just... That's his prime. And something I found so interesting was because other countries didn't necessarily know everything what was going on in these other countries and i remember uh, there was like a little quote that pele said in the 62 world cup that when he got it back that just fontaine wasn't on the french squad he was like confused he was like what are you talking about and they're like oh he had to retire and they were like oh because like they wouldn't know that in brazil you know what i mean yeah information wasn't yes it was like they started to get into the qualifiers and they were like and uh just isn't in the in the gonna be in the squad and and pele was saying like because pele had mentioned him as one of the best strikers of that era oh yeah and And, when he gives you that type of praise you're just like Yes, that's that the guy you want. Yes, yeah. he he mentioned him in his because Pele has this thing called like the best hundred. I think it was hundred and twenty five players, but he has this thing where he went through a lot of these players of his era and gave him just due that they might not have gotten. You know, yeah. Um, so that is his playing career, which we like. It's like you know who it's like Jake Taylor. Exactly like Jake Taylor. It's like Jake Taylor, man. And it's just a sad, great player. But you know what? He had a great life. Ruined by injuries. Ruined by injuries. Um, He went into coaching, but he wasn't very great at coaching. I'll say this. He coached France for two games. Yeah, two two, games. I read about those. Two defeats. And then they were like, yeah, you're just not. Just not. He wasn't ready for it. He went in and he he coached. Paris Saint-Germain for a while for like three years and was okay his best coaching success came with Morocco which yeah Morocco that from uh, 79 to 81 yep that was his best stretch which I feel like he was given the respect he deserved from these African players because this was this that era beginning of the 80s is when the African teams first start coming onto the international scene. Well, they first get their independence, basically, and you don't have that talent drain back to Europe because if they identified any sort of soccer talent, which I read about, they would just funnel them into the Metropole. Possibly like Just Fontaine did. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's very, this is what I mean is, so he's in this first era and they actually get third in the uh, African World Cup and th- and they just miss out. Yeah, they lost to uh, Cameroon. Cameroon. Yep. Yeah. They mm-hmm. just miss out on that World Cup qualifier, which people are saying 
like changes countries. Yeah, no, definitely. Like you make the World Cup, you're legitimate apparently to the rest of the world soccer wise. Well, it it just like uh, it gets all kinds of tourism. You know, it shines a light on your country. It's very much. Oh, for sure. Yeah. What impoverished countries need. Um, Just a quick thing before we get out of here with the help of and I'm going to mess this last name up. Yeah, I'm glad you're mentioning it. Because uh, I can't do it. Eugene Injolia. <laughs> well played. Um, they founded the National Union of Professional Football Players in 1961. And a lot of people felt like in 61, he wanted this union because he was not going to be able to retire and live off the money he made. Exactly. So he didn't want this to happen to any other player. So if you think about how popular he was in France at this time, it would be like, I don't know, like a David Robinson not being able to retire after his career. Like it's crazy. So he came in for this with his buddy, with this national union of professional football players. And they're actually still the main trade union in France Um, to this day. A couple of great things that they do. Um, every single month they hand out uh, awards for League A and League Two. And then every single summer for professional French players that are out of contract, they hold camps for teams to go and scout them. So it's hard for these players who are out of contracts to get camps to for these professional teams to look at them. And I, I believe it's since 1991. Um, the National Union of Professional Football Players in France has offered this to these players, which is such a necessary thing for them. Well, it's like Johan Cruyff, like yep. we talked about exactly. before. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, so both of these, both of those players mirror each other very much. Real quick, the record that I fucking love more than any other record that Just Fontaine has is 30 goals in 21 international games. He'll never, that won't be broken because if you're out there scoring for your international team, they're going to play you. So like his ratio of goals will never be broken. I believe it's 1.43 per goals per game. And that's us at the Sports Experience well, Podcast. Well, not only, I'll, <laughs> no, I'll hit just it, point hit it. out, I'll just point out, that many goals in goddamn soccer, that's amazing. Yes, it's like Lionel Messi fucking numbers, right? man. It's ridiculous. Hey, everybody, this is just a stock message at the end of every episode. We hope you enjoyed whatever athlete and or team that that episode was about. Just want to say give us a quick follow on all social media. We have a YouTube channel, the Sports Experience Podcast, and we're on Instagram, Totolo Dominic and myself, C. Quinn Comedy. So give us a follow all around um, we're always recording right here at Angle Studio. Thank you all very much. <laughs>